Good morning. I must admit this morning that uh, my knees are knocking a little bit. <laughs> it, it's, it's been several years since I've done a sermon. I've taught in Bible class and different things, but it's been several years since I've done, done a sermon. And it was brought back a lot of memories going through the text and trying to figure out what to say. So I, I appreciate this opportunity. Remember when you were little, maybe five, six, and you attended Sunday morning Bible class? There was always a usual format to those classes. They'd have the Bible story. Sometimes they would have the old flannel boards, which is the PowerPoint of our day, and move the characters around to illustrate the story. But then also you would usually get something to cut out or something to color. But as you got to a certain point in, in the life of going to Sunday school, you had to learn the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. 39 books in the Old Testament. And yet you come to the minor prophets in that long series of memory. And you come to Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. You know, whereas Nahum may have been one of the least read books in the Bible, Habakkuk's got to be one of the hardest to say. It's a mouthful for a six-year-old. But as you delve into the book of Habakkuk, you read something that's very intimate. You read something that's very passionate. It's a conversation between Habakkuk and God. That's all who's in the book. God and Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is very pro-Judah. Even though this is the reign of Josiah, end of the reign of Josiah, you know that Babylon's coming. He's still arguing for Israel. He has a very passionate love affair with Israel and deeply wants what's best for them. And in these conversations with God, it shows that he wrestled deeply with what was going on in his society. He begins the conversation with God with a lament. He says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? And as I read that, it made me think of some things that probably we've said at times, especially in the difficult times that we've lived in lately. 
violence, silence. Those are the two themes of that lament of Habakkuk. He's obviously been praying. He's obviously been talking to God. And his beef with God is that God has been silent. There is no help. But then he talks about the law being paralyzed and all the evil that's abounding. That was a, he, and with that, he laments. Laments are found throughout the Bible. Usually laments are born out of the connection between God and our faith and what we see happening in the world. And we would always like those things to be congruent. We would always like to have those things harmonized. But more times than not, they don't. And when this happened to people in the Psalms, they would talk about the silence of God. They would talk about what's happening to Israel and that God doesn't seem to be present. I had an Old Testament professor in college who said that laments are the most honest, transparent human language of Scripture. Literally, it's the opening of the heart and the mind to God. And what it reveals to us is that it reveals that it's okay to lament about our true feelings with God. We've always been very careful about the language that we use when we pray. Or the language that we use when we talk and pray. Because we want to be respectful. We want to honor God. But literally, when you come to the laments, the gloves are off. People are telling it like it is. And what we see is conversations that maybe we have had with God at times. Uncomfortable conversations. I'm not sure that the people that lament were very comfortable with what they were saying. But they said it. They opened their heart. They opened their mind and became transparent in their language. But after this lament, God tells Habakkuk, wait and see. And for the next several verses, he describes the coming of Babylon. It's not a very pretty picture that God paints of how Babylon invades a country. It's not a very pretty picture about how Babylon treats 
the people that they are conquering. Yet in this response to this very dismal picture of Babylon taking over Judah, there comes another lament. A second lament in which Habakkuk says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting, my God and Holy One? We will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment, O rock. You have ordained them to punish. But here's the heart of the lament. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? And what God has said is going to happen to Judah. And what Habakkuk believes are two different things. He sees the loving, merciful nature of God. And knows that God and evil are incompatible. They don't work together. Yet he's allowing this evil to take over. And Habakkuk laments, how can you in your purity and your mercy look at such a thing? I think as you read that passage, it's simply Habakkuk trying to make meaning of his world. You know, I remember a professor, I don't remember if it was sociology or psychology, talking about our lenses through which we look at the world. And he described it like a camera. And each of us has a different lens on that camera that we're looking through. That our eyes are seeing. And he talked about one of those lenses being a theological lens. We interpret the world through what we know about God. Each one of us here, whether we would like to admit or not, are theologians. <laughs> we have a, the a theology of God that frames our world. And it's through Bible class, through sitting in Sunday morning worship, listening to preachers, that theology, that theological lens is formed. And it's that which we use to make meaning. So we try to answer some of the questions. Why are we not being kind to each other? Where, where is the love we're supposed to have? Why are people shooting innocent people? Being a chaplain in a level one trauma center, I have a lot of questions for God. A lot of questions. Because I've seen innocent people gunned down. I've seen people take their own lives and things that I just 
don't understand because my theological lens is formed in such a way. Lament is part of our lives, whether we would recognize it or not. There are the times that we've had our doubts. There are the times we've had our sorrows. There are the times we've had our grief. But Habakkuk, after these long laments, moves from lament to resolution. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone. Wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. In his resolution, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. He decries the idols that are in the land. They're lifeless, they're man-made, they're made of wood. But his resolution, God's where he's supposed to be. And what we must do is that we must approach God in reverence. We must approach God in silence. I've never been comfortable with silence. A few years ago, one of my chaplain friends invited me to go to a friend's church down in Friendswood. Friends are the old, what they call the Quakers. And they have a long period of silence in their services where they feel open to what the Spirit is doing. And I sat there in silence. I'm really not used to silence in church. But it went a long time. And I fidgeted and I moved. And thousands of thoughts went through my mind. But it taught me a lesson. The lesson it taught me is, is that I need to learn silence. To silence not only my mouth, but to silence my body, my soul, and my mind. We sing the song, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Keep silence, keep silence. I believe that silence is respect for holy space. If you read some of the monastics, they will talk about their vows of silence or how silence reacts in the monastery. And they really feel deeply that it's sacred. That it's holy. And that silence is the space between us and God. And in that space, we must be silent. I wonder, are we making space in our lives for silence?
Do we have holy space? Or is the noise just so overwhelming that we've just learned to accept it? You realize how many noisemakers we have on our personal being. You realize how many noisemakers are in our homes or even at work. And finding silence is a struggle. But remember that verse, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. And Habakkuk's second resolution is at the very end of the book. The very last words of Habakkuk. And he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. There are many teachers that believe that's a psalm. A psalm that was sung in the synagogue. But prior to that verse... Habakkuk talks about all the resources drying up. Through the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Through the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Think about what he's saying. He said, what I eat, what I make my money with, he says, all of that can be gone. And yet I will find joy in the Lord. He will be my strength. And the one thing I, I love about Habakkuk in those final words is that they're words of intention. I, I sat in a theology and ministry class in seminary. And the teacher said throughout the class, reminding us, faith is a choice. Faith is not automatic. We're not robots. We've not been programmed just to have faith. He said real, genuine faith is a choice. And I know there's a lot said today about the individualism in our society and people making their own choices and choosing their own ways. But there's also the individual choice of choosing to let God be our strength. And finding joy in His salvation. That is a personal decision. And one that is just not made one time. But one that is made repeatedly in our lives. If we treat faith as automatic, we're going to struggle. 
My intentions every day are to follow God. Let Him be my strength. No matter what happens. If I lost all of the resources I know, would I proclaim that God is my joy and God is my strength? Could I proclaim that? Can I own that in my life? Thank you.